Hey everybody, Larry Powell here. Welcome to today's interview. And today's guest is Jared Roden, local trombonist in Indianapolis. You're going to hear some pretty cool things about Jared's path from college to where he is today. So hope you enjoy this interview from June 25th, 2020. But first, this. Continued interviews from Studio HFL are made possible through the support of Messina Covers, Eastman Music Company, Pickett Blackburn, S.E. Shires, and through the generosity of Patreon subscribers. Trumpet players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, perhaps even more so than other brass instrumentalists. If you have an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers has your solution for completely custom case designs, even down to crazy color schemes. Let's not forget about options for mouthpiece pouches, or pretty much anything you'd want to keep protected in a custom case. Check them out at MessinaCovers.net. If you're looking for excellence in trumpets, trombones, horns, and tubas, you need look no further than the Eastman Music Company and S.E. Shires. Eastman offers a complete line of brass instruments, from the beginner all the way up to the professional. And you know they're invested in creating a quality product when the legendary Doc Severinsen helped design Eastman's beginner trumpet model. You can find more information about the Eastman Music Company at EastmanWinds.com and you can learn more about the S.E. Shires line of instruments at seshires.com. Pickett Blackburn has established themselves as a top-tier resource for trumpet players. If you haven't had a chance to try any mouthpieces available through Pickett, you can check them out online at pickettblackburn.com. And on the Blackburn side of Pickett Blackburn, it would be worth your while to check out their incredible line of trumpets endorsed by such great musicians as Vince DiMartino. Be sure to check them out at pickettblackburn.com and that's Pickett with two T's. And before today's interview, just a reminder that you too can be a financial supporter for this podcast by subscribing at patreon.com slash studiohfl. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash studiohfl. There are four tiers of support, and you can choose the one that best fits your budget. Your support will help offset the cost of production for this podcast and would be greatly appreciated please consider becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studio HFL. And now, on to today's interview with your host, Larry Powell. Well, let's talk about you a little bit. Um, let me ask how you got to Indiana. What brought you to Indianapolis? All right, so when I was in a, at Carbondale, my junior year, I, I was there for five years because I was like on a super full scholarship and plus I had a student work job and I decided to get the bachelor's of music and all of the education stuff. Mm -hmm. So I didn't do music ed. So I had to take extra classes. So, so I managed to stretch it out for five years and didn't cost me anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in my third year, I heard, I don't know how I heard through the, I don't know how I heard this. Somehow I was hip to the fact that Evansville Philharmonic needed a bass trombone. So I drove over there and I played for the conductor and I got hired. Mm -hmm. And then, so I start, so that put me in touch with a lot of IU people. Mm -hmm. And so that first, that first year that I was there was also the first year that William Boots was there as principal trombone. And he was uh, 
it took like I guess a quarter time position at University of Evansville that included first in the Philharmonic or something like this, and then eventually his job at Evansville became full time. But so, yeah, I, was, I got to know him, and he was a Van Haney student, and so um, now I'm starting to find out all of this, and plus all these like hotshot string players coming down from Bloomington and some I didn't even know anything about Indiana University. I knew nothing about it. Hmm. I mean zero, mm-hmm. nothing. So I'm playing the Evansville Philharmonic for three years. And then my last year of school, my trombone teacher let me, Stan Adams, and a couple other people know. He just wasn't going to come back the next year. After my fourth year, mm-hmm. he was just going to go back to teaching grade school. He just had it with the university. <laughs> they were in the process of changing it from a school of music to a department of music. Because it was part of this larger college of communications and fine arts or something like that. And, and so, and I think they were, they, they had put a freeze on promotions and pay raises and, you know, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of dissatisfaction uh, with some of the long-term faculty and he just decided that wasn't for him. So, so I told Bill Boots, I said, you got to get your stuff together. I think they're going to find out in, they're going to need a trombone professor for next year. And I'm not sure when they're going to find that out. So, you know, so he, he, so he applied for the job. They hired him for the year. And I think he kept doing it for a couple of years until they eventually got around to doing a search. Mm-hmm. So he was my, my teacher, then my official teacher for my fifth year of undergraduate school. So now I'm getting all this Haney stuff mm-hmm. from him. And so I'm getting very interested in it. And then, uh, but in the meantime, I applied for an assistantship at University of Wisconsin, Madison, and Bill Richardson was the, and I, so I got an assistantship there mm-hmm. for graduate school. And I was really interested in doing that because I had some good conversations with him. So I, I was pretty much set on going there because it was fairly close to Chicago. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, a lot closer than Carbondale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, he was, and he was cool. He was like, you know, I would encourage you, you know, to go. You could go and study there, audition for civic orchestra and all this stuff. And I, I said, yeah, I think this sounds like a good idea. And so I kind of, you know, I was talking a bit with Bill Boots about this. And he looked at me and he goes, you need the fat man. <laughs> Van Haney. Uh-huh. He kind of talked me out of it. So I went to, so I said, okay. You know, we were pretty close and I trusted him, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I did. So I went to. So I went to IU. I, so I, although I didn't have an assistantship. Oh, well. And that was for your master's, right? Right. Yeah. So is that when you started getting opportunities in Indy? Were you, were you coming up to, yeah. to the city? I, mean, I, I got to know Flip Miller pretty, oh, yeah. pretty well. He was still there. And, and then I, I was introduced to Larry Wiseman. Mm-hmm. But he was still living in Bloomington. And Flip and Larry were driving back and forth all the time, you know, for stuff mm-hmm. and jingles. And so pretty soon I got on some of that stuff. And then uh, John Von Ola and Steve Alley were kind of restarting their band from mm-hmm. what used to be the old band to the new band that started at uh, playing at, started playing at Crazy Al's, which is where the Jazz Kitchen is now. So at oh, that okay. time it was Crazy Al's. It was a pizza joint. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. And then it was, then it became the place to start. And then we played at Kurt's 
Kurt Steakhouse, which was on 86th Street. And now I think it's like a paint store. <laughs> then, it, for, then it was Kurt's Steakhouse. We played there every Monday night. And then it was, then it became Del Frisco Steakhouse, and now it's like a paint store. <laughs> and but then, you know, so that you know, I met Jim Edison because he was on the band, you know. And then Jim started using me in his dance band, and then pretty soon Starlight, and then pretty soon everything. Right. And then once at a blue moon, I'd play for Cobine because Tom Ringo was still living in Blue Bloomington, and he was pretty much still playing all of Al's stuff. Mm-hmm. But it got to the point where he was, you know, becoming less interested in playing. And so then Al started asking me to do stuff too. And mm-hmm. then I started doing some of his tours, you know, like Andy Williams tours, and the Pianzabella tours. And, and for a while he was con- he was doing Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Jim was doing Broadway shows. Kind of depend on who the promoter was. There was a mm-hmm. local promoter, and then there was an out-of-town promoter. I think Al worked for the out-of-town promoter and Jim worked for the in-town promoter. Mm-hmm. Was there Bond. a whole lot of competition on bass trom- bass trombone back then? Not so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, in the, in, oh, yeah, in the meantime, I, yeah, I left, I went to Italy oh, for okay. a couple of years and I played <laughs> the radio from there. And at that time, my buddy Ken Kugler was, uh, he, he sort of picked up the work I was doing. Um, and another guy that w- was here that was, was doing this kind of work, he went to Mexico. Dave Shank, he went to Mexico to play in a mm-hmm. Jalapa in that orchestra. So he moved up. And then, so then Ken was like doing stuff. And, uh, and then I, I, and then he, and then he went, he, then he moved to California. He went out to the Music Academy of the West and just stayed there. <laughs> so he's had a, quite a career in LA. And so then I came back from, in from Italy and then, he had just left, so I just kind of just mm-hmm. got back in the saddle. Mm-hmm. Sort of how that worked, and you know. Well, let's let's stay in Italy for just a minute. Uh, what orchestra did you say you were with? It's called. You know, uh, let's see, they've changed the name of it now. It's called the uh, Symf- the National Radio. Well, it's, it's it's basically the National Radio Orchestra. Mm-hmm of the Rye, which is mm-hmm. like the Italian BBC. So it's sort of like the BBC of Italy, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I was there, there were four of them. There was one in Milan, Torino, Rome, and a chamber orchestra in Naples. And then they had two big bands. Where were you? The big band, I was in Torino. Torino, okay. And most people said that the one in Torino was probably the best one. And then they had a big band in Milan and a big band in Rome. Mm-hmm. And they did like variety shows, you know, like Dancing with the Stars or, you know, <laughs> or, you know, whatever, you know, those right. shows that would have a band on, you know, Bob Hope show or something like this. Or, you know, or, in a, so that, so there were four musical organizations of full-time musicians in Italy that were affiliated with the radio. Mm-hmm. They had like three, I think they had three TV channels and a bunch of rate, uh, radio channels. And then they did other productions theatrical productions, historical dramas. It'd be funny. I'd be at the, in the cafeteria, you know, standing next to somebody in some, you know, 17th century get up with a big wig and, you know, <laughs> or something, you know, <laughs> they were filming in some other part of a, a different building. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they were in their lunch. There was a cafeteria that they operated. It was pretty good, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if, since you're an employee of the radio company, it's really cheap. Mm-hmm. So most of us would get lunch there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so a variety of repertoire while you were there? Well, it was, yeah, well, it was great because they didn't have a music director. So it was all guest conductors. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them were pretty good. Kurt Mazur was good. Mm-hmm. And Igor, Igor Yeah, we did Beethoven 9 on live TV across Europe. Live. Igor Marakevich. And, uh, but yeah, so all these guys came with great repertoire. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I played so much stuff. I played so much Mahler and Richter and Strauss and, you know, and everything. It was every week was something. Mm-hmm. It was hardly any like dud weeks. It mm-hmm. was pretty great. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what years were you there? 79, 80, 80, 81. Okay. Those, those two. Yeah. yeah. So when, uh, let's back up just a little bit. It, when did you, aside from the Evansville Philharmonic, had you gotten any orchestra experience before that, or was Evansville the first time? No, just well, the only the, my first orchestra experience was uh, in college, my freshman mm-hmm. year of college. My high school didn't have an, an or well, they had a string orchestra, but they didn't have a full orchestra. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about orchestra rep, really. I was kind of like into you know, you know. Chicago and Blood, Sweat, and Tears and right. Tower of Power and Santana and Horns and, and uh, you know, the Kenton Band. I'd heard the right. Kenton Band a couple times when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's kind of where my focus was. Mm-hmm. So I went to college and uh, in my first quarter, I, so I played in the orchestra and, and it's the Firebird. I'm thinking... Well, this is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we did Sibelius second. And I said, well, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and, and then we did Chike six. And so that's when I went out and decided like, well, maybe I'm going to get a record. I didn't have any classical records. Mm. So I went out to discount records on College Avenue. Every college town's got a College Avenue. So right. Went to discount records and I flipping through the, the bin there. There's a whole bunch of recordings. And I, I see Fritz Reiner in the Chicago Symphony. And I, you know, I'm from Chicago. I never heard the orchestra. And I thought, <laughs> well, they're supposed to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think my mom said something about them being good. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, so I pick up this record. I take it back to my dorm room. And, and I listen to it. And my jaw hits the desk. <laughs> that first big brass entrance with Bud, and I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, something happened to my brain at that point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I said, like, oh, well, there's something to this stuff after all. (laughs) And and I became, you know, a big fan. Started buying records. Started, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. One Uh, of my last years, one of my last years there, so that, I think, I think it was the double bass teacher. Salvatore Macchia, he was like from the heart school. He was an East Coast guy. Mm-hmm. He was a fantastic musician. I think he was principal bass in the Evansville. So I think, I think he was the one that told me that, about the opening. Because mm-hmm. I remember I used to drive back and forth to Evansville from Carbondale. It was just like a straight shot. I mean, they're, they're like on the same latitude. You just mm-hmm. take Highway 13 out of Carbondale until you get to Evansville. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's pretty straight. 
Mm -hmm. So I used to ride back and forth with him. So I think, so then, yeah, so then, but you said, so this, yeah, so I got like really interested in orchestra music. And then by the time I was a junior, I was pretty well versed in a lot of repertoire because mm -hmm. I just dove in. And then I got to know him and, you know, he had stories galore. And then I just was really interested in it. And then I met Bill Boots and I was mm -hmm. playing in an orchestra. The first concert I played there was Brahms first. Oh, nice. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah, I, I just, and, and then there's this guy, this percussionist from New York State. Maybe he's from New York State. I don't know. He came, he was working on a graduate degree, Charlie Seiler. And he was like a New York Bernstein Mahler guy. Mm -hmm. I never heard of Mahler. Never heard of him, you know? Mm -hmm. So he would, he would, he'd, he'd like, we would get together and just listen to records. And he would just, he was so into it, you know? So then, yeah. So then, you know, that opened up a whole bunch of doors, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, mentally. Right. So, yeah, so I, uh, it, it, was, it, it happened real fast. Mm -hmm. Was that the question? I don't forgot the question. Oh, yeah, that's great. I was, I was just trying to find out, you know, how you got into the, the orchestra scene. And, you know, of course, yeah. and it seemed like it was pretty quick, right, with Evansville and then IU and then Italy. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what made you decide to leave Italy? The quality of the brass playing was lacking, I felt. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was arguably one of the best brass players in the orchestra. And the tuba player was a disaster. He's probably dead now, so I could probably say his name. Ivo Pieri. Mm-hmm. It was just terrible. The, the orchestra owned this like, like three valve king, top valve <laughs> tuba. You know, like, they found us a band room. He wasn't a very good. I mean, you could actually make a. You know, I mean, he actually. I mean, I, I would say like his sound actually wasn't that terrible, but he couldn't do anything, and he was mm -hmm. never practiced. And 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 what would happen is he would just wouldn't show up to work, and he would like send a postcard like from Bologna or something to the orchestra say I'm sick but they wouldn't get it till like Wednesday mm -hmm. or something you know and our concerts were live on the radio on Thursday and Friday nights oh gosh because <laughs> other orchestras were on different nights right. so we were on live Thursday and Friday nights and I had Saturday and Sunday and most of Monday off mm -hmm. every week mm -hmm. it was my schedule it was amazing I would practice 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 one of the things I'm really kind of regret now is I, I could have joined, I could have learned how, cause it's real, it's right there by the Alps. You can see the Alps mm -hmm. in an hour. You're in the Alps and the, the, the orchestra, the radio company sponsored ski, ski trips. You know, he's the a bus would pick people up at the, at the auditorium and take you to, you know, mm -hmm. any variety. And I, you know, and it was cheap, you know, mm -hmm. but I wanted to practice. I, I could have learned to ski in the Alps for cheap. I didn't go, not once. But that was my mentality at the time. Mm -hmm. Practice, practice, practice. You know, mm -hmm. and I took a few auditions in 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 a there while I was there. So I mean, so what everyone's trying to do that gets a job in Italy is get a better job in Germany. <laughs> you know, so right. you, so yeah, you get Das Orchester and you look at all the things you write away to these. And at that time, it's kind of hard to get invited mm -hmm. to. Uh, things 
I think especially if you're like, well, I mean, if you're American or you're, or especially an American living in Italy, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I didn't get very many invites. Mm -hmm. but, but anyway, so the, the so what they would do is, you know, they would get a tuba player from Germany to come down last minute, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to like play the last rehearsal of the two concerts. Mm -hmm. So, the, so the good news was, is I would oftentimes end up playing with a pretty good tuba player. Mm -hmm. But you know, the downside was like the first three rehearsals, I was playing with no tuba player. Right. You know, which is like, if it's a Bruckner symphony or something, that's kind of a drag. You know? Sure. Sure. Well, unless it's Bruckner third and there's no tuba part anyway, we did do that. I, I just felt like I wasn't going to progress I wasn't being challenged, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I was runner up for a couple of audits, one in Switzerland and one in, uh, in Stuttgart. And then I was just going to come. So my plan was to come back to the States and I wasn't a hundred percent sure I wasn't going to go back. Mm -hmm. I kind of kept, kept them on pins and needles a little bit, mm -hmm. but I was going to wanted to come back and take the Basel, Switzerland, Basel radio audition, which was going to be like in the fall. So when I came back for that summer, it was hard. I, I didn't know, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I thought, and then I just didn't have the bread to go mm -hmm. fly back to Basel. And then, so I mean, so I, I just kind of decided, you know, I came back and I, I kind of got back in the swing of things here and I'm playing with great musicians. I'm playing with Flip Miller and Larry Wiseman and Bob mm -hmm. Wood and, and, you know, other great musicians. And I'm, I'm really having a blast mm -hmm. and I'm thinking like, you know, this is okay. You know, I'll just get fired up and I'll take all these auditions and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. So, so the thing with the with the orchestra was, I mean, the the orchestra was actually quite good when it felt like it. Mm -hmm. If they liked the repertoire, and they respected the maestro, you could have a really good concert. Mm -hmm. But that didn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. You know, they just they, they were terribly undisciplined. You know, it's like it, it, it's it's like if you don't like it, if you don't like the conductor, then it's, it's kind of like substitute teacher <laughs> and everybody's misbehaving. Right. And, you know, and then if it's Beethoven and Mozart, they loved it. And if it was, you know, Mahler or Bruckner, I mean, they were just, they acted like they were in purgatory. They just hated that stuff. You know? <laughs> Weird, you know? Yeah. Very. So, so the orchestra was, the, the level was way up and down. Now, my last half year, I was able, they needed a, someone to come play first trombone. So I was able to negotiate, I got my, my buddy from IU, Joe Burnham, to come. And, and that was so much fun because we played really well together. Mm -hmm. But he was very young. He, was, you know, he, he hadn't finished undergraduate school. Mm -hmm. And he found it really difficult mm -hmm. to adapt to living in a foreign country, particularly Italy, where there's no organization. Everything is, everything's pandemonium. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as a line. It's just a mob. <laughs> Whether you're at the bank or the post office or trying to get ice cream or, you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, if you, if, if you don't like elbow your way in, up to the front, you'll just stand there all day. Mm -hmm. You won't move, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, Anyway, so there's a lot of things about living in the, in, in, he, he was, he was just too young. He'll be the first one to tell you. So he, he took off mm -hmm. and, and, and then I, I, that was part of my 
decision not to go back either because I felt like, oh man, because it was great when he was there. Because the second trombone player wasn't, he at one point had been a very good player. All these people at one point were very good players, sure. you know. And and uh, his name was Lele Omoka. Great guy. So nice. Dressed impeccably. Elegant. Oh, man. He was in a... But you could... But he was epileptic. And he was... Um, he was heavily medicated. So, like, he was, like, in slow motion. Just, you know, he would get there. So if you were playing fast music, it was sort of a disaster. You know, he just couldn't keep up. You know, mm-hmm. but we, we, he, he could make some sound and, and he could play in tune and on some repertoire, you know, with Joe on one side, me on the other, you know, he, he held his own. <laughs> the section sounded pretty good, uh-huh. you know, but without strong leadership, you know, he was just a disaster. There was another print, they had two principals. The other guy, Johnny Capriolo, he was a great guy, but he spent all his time playing in discos in Milan. And then hanging out, and then he'd drive back and straight to rehearsal. <laughs> smelling like cigarettes. <laughs> and uh, and he wasn't. And he 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 had he had emphysema. He died of emphysema or something, you know, because he was just a chain smoker. Mm-hmm. He could actually he had a, he had a way of like lighting a cigarette, taking a puff, and putting it out in one motion on stage. I mean, that's strictly prohibited, you know, but he could do it because he course, just, yeah. or he would just get up and leave. Or if he was close to the end of something, he would just circle it and write tacit and split because he had to have a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> and then if it was a big deal. He'd say, it's just tacit. I didn't, I had to go, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was so much fun to live there. Yeah. So many characters. Yeah. But, you know, the, the playing was, the, the principal trumpet was, Really good, Renato Cadopi, but he was quite old, quite old. They, they like they like to play B flat trumpets too. There, mm-hmm. and there was this other guy that would come from Switzerland on shorter contracts, Eric Eric Erfer. He was good, but the other guys were you know, yeah. they were at the end of their careers. Yeah, French cool. horns were. Yeah, there was one good horn player in there, mm-hmm. Corrado. He was very solid. I'm impressed that you're remembering these names so clearly. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it was fun. It made a good, a really positive impression on me. Yeah, I guess, obviously. So I guess I decided not to, but my friend Joe wasn't going to go back. Eventually he did. After about a, two years, you know, they still wanted him. He, he went back, took his, and he's still there. He's mm-hmm. an Italian citizen. No, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Great player. We all, We played really... Yeah, he was one of, with Abby Conan, he was one of the principal organizers of the International Trombone Camp. So then I would, mm-hmm. and then I traveled back there starting in 1993 for about 10 or more years mm-hmm. to do this camp. This was for fun. You know, uh, I didn't realize you and Abby were friends. Uh, yeah. The day I interviewed her and uh, she said, you're from Indy. I said, yeah. And she goes, do you know Jared Roden? I said, well, yeah. And that's when I, I picked up my phone and I called you. <laughs> yeah, and I was and in she, Alabama. You should see, have seen the look on her face uh, when I handed her the phone. I said, here's Jared. You know, she, of course, you guys had a really nice conversation. and We did. Yeah. Oh, she's so great. She, my first year there, she was in the, uh, 
that was her only year there. My first year there was her one and only, first and only year, I believe, at the Royal Opera. And her and Bill had an apartment. So, so the, this is just so great. I mean, it, 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 in, in Italy, you know, so like my auditorium is on Via Rossini. And then you just go up a couple blocks, you can hang a right on Via Verdi. <laughs> and then <laughs> and you take that to the, to, the, to the Piazza Castello, and that's where the Royal Opera is. And they had an apartment that looked out on Via Verdi. Mm -hmm. um, but you would get, get to it from Via Po on the, on the other block. And so mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, I ended up getting an apartment later in my, my first year there it, in uh, Pino Torinese, the Pines of Torino, mm -hmm. in his little suburb. And there was a bus, but the bus, the last bus left from uh, Piazza Vittorio at like midnight. So concerts there don't start till nine. Mm -hmm. So after the concert, and then you go hang out, I'd miss the bus mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Well, on Thursdays and Fridays when we had concerts. Mm -hmm. So I would just go to Abby and Bill's apartment, knock on the door. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, okay, and throw this mattress on the floor and mm -hmm. put some sheets on it. I would crash there, mm -hmm. We'd hang out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that happened a lot. Yeah. Um, let's jump up a little bit to uh, Wooden Roden and how All that right. started, what year. And, of course, uh, the, uh, the other side of that is, of course, Bob Wood. Uh, tell me a little hey. bit about how that, how that got started. Well, there was a recording scene. Um, here there was, it was, it, everything was at Gaither studio, which at that time was called Pinebrook. And then there was, a, then there was a, a bunch of jingle studios. There used to be a lot of jingle business here. Mm -hmm. And so for a long time, John Bolt was the staff engineer at Pinebrook. I'm not sure when they changed the name to Gaither studio. I'm fuzzy on that. But anyway, at some point, he left there. I think it, I think they changed his status from like being a full-time staff member to freelance. You know, mm -hmm. um, him and Mike Wilson got the idea of putting together a place in Indy. And by this time, you know, I knew I didn't know Mike that well. Mike had experience with Mike Wolf at TRC which might have been called a neon cornfield at that time. Anyway, but John and Mike were, I was very well acquainted with John. Mm -hmm. And because I'd worked with him up at Pinebrook for years and years. So, you know, they got this idea that they would open. I mean, John said he tried to convince Bill Gaither not to expand. When they, they built the studio, see the bigger room. Mm -hmm. It was just this one small room at first. I can't believe how small that room looks. That, that that used to be considered to be like an orchestra room, you know. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah you, there'd be like, yeah, I don't know, 30-something piece of orchestra in there. I can't believe it. And now that I see it, I said, wow, that was pretty tight. Then they went ahead to build, the, you know, the room that, you, that you're acquainted with. Mm -hmm. And John said he tried to talk him into building it in Indy. He said, don't build it up here in Alexandria, you know. It's just, it's so much driving in cornfields for people who come here, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. 
all the players come from Indy or Bloomington or someplace, you know, mm-hmm. he wouldn't do it. He wanted it in his hometown of Alexandria. So then when I guess he became, you know, his, his, uh, his work status changed. And I think he always had the idea that Indy would be a good place to have a room like that. So him and Mike Wilson, you know, they came together and they created Airborne. And when they were in the planning stages, they approached us. So they knew us. You know, John had worked with, you know, Bob, me, and you know, for years and years. And uh and they just had the idea that, you know, would we work with them to help assemble players? So we said, Okay. <laughs> and that's the whole story. Well, not the whole story, but that's that's the germ of it. Yeah. 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 So what year was that? You recall? Yeah, it would have been eighty nine, I think. Oh, that's that's way more recent than I than I had thought. Yeah, I think it was like eighty nine. Mm-hmm. How long ago is it? Thirty years? Uh, just about. Yeah. About thirty years. Oh. About thirty one. Right. So, uh, were there any other uh, contractors in town that you were competing with for? Uh, Larry, Larry Wiseman, did, he was he contracted stuff, and uh, you know Jim Edison contract stuff, Greg Imboden contract stuff. And uh, I, I think John kind of liked uh, the way we thought about things. Yeah, we had some conversations about the stuff, and you know, mm-hmm. so I think they, they wanted to go in a certain direction. I guess mm-hmm. they thought we would do that, so we did. Yeah, nice long relationship there, you know. And I'm I'm thinking uh, this is pre cell phone pre-email so contracting players back then was all telephone. The phone, right an answering machine yeah and yeah. not a cell it phone did. either right i mean this was landline yeah answering machines right <laughs> uh you know I, I remember the first time uh i worked at uh, uh airborne you were carrying this giant notebook or folder i guess it was or clipboard um, yeah. but maybe with a giant rubber band around it. I don't remember, but I'm thinking. Yeah, I think it was a notebook with a yeah. rubber band around it, yeah. Yeah, and I just think, I think back to that, and how in the world did you manage to keep track of everything, uh, everything you did? But obviously you did, but uh, yeah. boy, have times changed now because everything, of course, is uh, digitized, right? Yeah, there's a, we still do, I, I still do all the transcribing of emails to a piece of paper because it makes you work slower. And it's, I, I think, I mean, all the hiring and responding and all the communication is now, you know, email or even texts, messages, or, you know, and this is, I mean, and the texting business is kind of neat in the sense that, well, only because people don't read emails anymore, you know, because it's instantaneous, you know, you send somebody an email and it's, you need an answer, you might not hear from them for a while, you know, and then the other thing that's, I'm, I'm digressing, it, it, there's so many ways to communicate now. There's Facebook Messenger and this mm-hmm. and that. And, this, and, and so there's, it, it gets dicey when, when, you, when you send somebody an email and then you get an answer on Facebook Messenger, you know? Oh, yeah. Or you text somebody, then you get a voicemail or, you know, I mean. It's, it, 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 are, are you I, saying that people don't read the part of your email that says, please respond to this email? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody reads anything. I yeah. do. 
you know, I try to follow the rules on that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I like to write things down because it slows me down. It makes me read what they wrote mm-hmm. and I put it on a piece of paper. And, and a lot of people work real fast, you know, with like Excel or this or the colors, you know, this color means this and this color means that and this mm-hmm. and that, you know, and all this sort of thing. But I, I mean, it's just my personal feeling. It's real easy to, to just start clicking away. Mm-hmm. And your sheet, your spreadsheet looks perfect. Oh, see, it's all perfect. But it's not reality. <laughs> you know, that's how you show up to stuff. Like, well, where's so-and-so? You know, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. well, it's, it's green. Right. Well, yeah. So, so I mean, I, 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 for me, it's easy... When things get so efficient and quick and fast and easy that mm-hmm. for me, that's a possible mistake yeah. waiting to happen. Yeah. So, so when everything happens with email, you know, I flag the email. I only flag it after I've read it and I've written it down. Mm-hmm. So it takes a little bit of time, but mm-hmm. it's not that bad of a deal. Yeah. You know, it, it just makes me be more accurate. I think it helps me to be more accurate. Maybe somebody else, you know, I don't know. That's how I do it. Well, here we are in the middle of today's interview. Just a reminder that support for this podcast comes from Messina Covers, who has you covered, literally, for all of your custom case needs. The Eastman Music Company, providing excellence from the professional model to the beginner model. And, of course, Pickett Blackburn providing you with a multitude of options for mouthpieces and trumpets. Now, back to the interview. Yeah, I'm also impressed, you know, your ability to manage that side of things and keep the horn on your face, right? You know, to be able to stay in shape with so many administrative things to take care of. That's uh, yeah. It's quite a task. Well, you know, I mean, I'm in gig shape. I'm not in audition shape. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. So... <laughs> That's why I like teaching, especially in person, because, you know, you can do a lot of fundamental work. Mm-hmm. It's good for me and it's good for them. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And they, I, I like my students to, you know, walk a mile in my shoes. I mean, if I don't do this every day, I'm not, can't function. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to go anywhere mm-hmm. and do anything if I don't do this much stuff every day, you know, and this is how I do it. Yeah. Takes a long time, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, guess what? We're doing the same thing over again. Why? Because it wasn't all that great the first time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It needs to be better. Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd like to spend some of my, some of the lessons just just practicing, you know, mm-hmm. my stuff that I do. Just make them do it. Well, that's a great, you know, leading by example. You're modeling it really well. Okay, so... Um... You know, I, I want to ask a little bit about uh, Music of the Baroque and mm-hmm. uh, Grand Tetons uh, Music Festival. And I mean, you've been involved with both of those things uh, for a number of years. Is that right? I think this last December was my 20th in Music of the Baroque. Mm-hmm. And uh, this would have been, because it was canceled, of course, like everything else, was. I think this would have been my 16th in the in the Tetons. Mm-hmm. And I remember, okay, you might want me to edit this out, but I remember uh, there would be times you would leave Connor Prairie 
right? Mm-hmm. And you would drive, as you would say, like a bat out of hell. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> all the way straight through, right? I mean, you would just. No, no, no. No, I, I would drive. Yeah, because it was just. Yeah, it was a Saturday night Connor Prairie. And I would just leave early the next morning. I think oh, once okay. we had a Sunday and I had to actually leave that night, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually I would leave early Sunday morning and I would try to get to. Well, I would. I'd get to Ogallala, Nebraska, mm-hmm. which is a little west. It's about an hour from Wyoming. So mm-hmm. it, that's about. Well, that was a long way. Yeah. It's a. And then, and then if I left Ogallala early, I would put me in Jackson Hole around two in the two or three in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Would you say sixteen? It would have been sixteen or twelve years you'd been doing that. This well, this would have been sixteen. Was sixteen. Yeah. Um, that uh, you know, I, I look at an experience like that where you've got so many great players coming together from all over. Uh, that's got to be a, a a very special experience. Uh, year oh, after year, is. I mean, it, it's it's never the same, right? No, it's never the same. There's a lot of uh, consistency. Some musicians, like Gail Williams, is there for the whole summer. Mm-hmm. She even owns a place out there. Barb and Charlie own a place out in Idaho, across the pass. And um, but with the brass, most of the rest of the brass, it's kind of like. I mean, when I first started, it was an eight-week festival. After about a couple of years, that Steve Norell from the Met started playing the first half. I was always the second half. So the first couple of years, it was four weeks. Mm-hmm. And at some point, that eighth week just got to be too late in the summer for most people because they had to, kids had to go get back to public school was starting for a lot right. of their kids. And, a lot of people that also teach at universities, you know, things were getting started. It was just too late. Mm-hmm. So they, and and then a lot of people were leaving the national parks and, you know, the attendance was a challenge. And they tried to do a small orchestra for a couple of years mm-hmm. and, and then just, they just bagged it. So I'm mostly, so now I'm down to three weeks, the last three weeks, weeks mm-hmm. five, six, and seven. That's guest conductors every week for that as well. Well, they have a, well, the music director is Donald Runnicles. Mm-hmm. who was that he's an assistant conductor or guest principal guest. Maybe that's what it is in, in Atlanta. He was at San Francisco opera. I think he was the music director there. I think he's now always the music director of the Deutsche opera in Berlin mm-hmm. and maybe the Scottish, the Royal Scottish orchestra. Maybe. I mean, he is a Scot. I mean, he's, he, I think he's been music director of that at some point, mm-hmm. whether he is right now or not. I don't, I don't know, but, so he does the bulk of it. He probably does, you know, two or three weeks in the first half and one or two weeks in the second half. And, and then so that, that makes, you know, two to three guest conductors in the right. summer. Right. Uh, what about uh, music of the Baroque? Is that uh, just a chamber group? You guys lead it yourselves or is there a... Well, there's always a there? conductor. Um, from the, the, the founder... Thomas Wickman always conducted it at first, the brass and choral. He conducted everything and the brass and choral. Then at some point, he let the guy that prepared the chorus, Ed Zellness, conduct the brass concert. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, somebody else for a while. Then Jane Glover became the music director, and she did it once and probably thought, well, that was very nice, but, she, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> she's really she's really into the high art. She is right. quite a gifted conductor. So she did it once, and I think that was probably enough for her. And then they so we've had a number of different people have conducted the brass and choral part. Jane mm-hmm. or Nicholas Kramer generally conduct all of the other orchestral and choral performances that they do mm-hmm. throughout the year. And and that stuff will always have trumpets and, and maybe horns. And once in a while, trombones. You know, mm-hmm. if it's a Mozart mass or, or even mm-hmm. that has trombone parts or an oratorio, Judas Maccabeus has got uh, mm-hmm. trom- pretty good trombone parts. And um, But you're not doing these on period instruments? No. All modern. Okay. All modern instruments. And that's, you know, that's, some people think that's odd. Does I don't it, know. Does it sound good? It sounds good. Well, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so anyway, so, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, all the strings are, they're, they're playing, you know, modern instruments. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be one thing if they were using, you know, Baroque bows and violas right. and all this sort of stuff. I mean, they have, I think they have done some productions with period instruments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they did bring in a sackbutt consort mm-hmm. once or something. Um, there's so many jokes that could go along with that (laughs) this was like an established group that does stuff uh, so yeah so I mean I played you know I've played about three Mozart Requiems with them and some other Mozart masses and a Schubert mass and uh, some Handel oratorio and Haydn, the seasons and the creation and, you know, so mm-hmm. yeah, this last year I didn't do anything with them orchestrally, but I've, I've probably done uh, 10 or 12 things with them mm-hmm. on, the, on the regular orchestral season. Yeah. Um, and you, and you sub still quite a bit with Chicago or has that been, up well, I haven't played with them a couple of years now, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I've played with them, and not a lot, you know, yeah. five times maybe. Oh, okay, uh, but you certainly know the guys there. I mean, you've got oh, yeah. a relationship with uh, Charlie Vernon, and uh... yeah, well, they've all they've all came to our trombone camp. Mm-hmm. Like I do, I knew Michael Mulcahy from Europe when I lived in Italy. He had just moved. Him and Gabby gave up their jobs in the Melbourne Symphony and just moved to Europe to seek their fame and fortune, you know? <laughs> and they were staying with a, a mutual friend. This guy, he would come down from, he's an Australian trumpeter, Rod Lowe, who unfortunately passed away just recently. Mm-hmm. This guy was really a scream. I think he drew, came up in the brass band tradition, but he was a hell of a great player. And he would just come down from Switzerland sometimes. He had a job up there in Simon Gollum. And in a you know, it's a theater orchestra with a concert season, you know, and uh, he would come down periodically for, for a, you know, a couple of months at a time mm-hmm. and play with the orchestra. First trumpet. Anyway, so I, I would go, I went up there a couple of times to visit it. So, so, so I show up at his place and uh, he says, I hey, meet my mates. My mates, Mick and Gabby from Australia. Mick's he's a hell of a good trumpet player. I go, I'm thinking, yeah, sure, okay, whatever. So I got to know him. So I was there for the weekend, you know, mm-hmm. hung out at Rod's apartment, went out, mm-hmm. 
St. Gollum nightlife. And then I kind of lost track of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I'd heard that, you know, he got Westdeutsche Rundfunk. And then I kind of lost track of him. And, and then, well, actually, Bill Boots went to one of these trombone, uh, the guy that I told you about earlier mm-hmm. from Evansville. Sure. He went to one of the trombone workshops. And this is when Mick was still in Australia. He, he had he so he quit West Orange at Runefunk and he went to Canberra and, and taught in the National Conservatory. Mm-hmm. And he came to one of these things. I think it was in the United States someplace. And you know, he gave a master class. And this and Bill Booskins, you wouldn't believe this guy. That's the best master class I ever heard in my life. You know, so clear the thinking, you know, the explanation. You know, it's just, you know, he's just right on the money. He was really impressed. Very inspired by you. I think, like, I think I know that guy. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I thought, oh, he's in Australia. You know, then I find out he's in the Chicago Symphony. So that was my the, the year I was teaching at Ball. I t- taught at Ball State for two years, mm-hmm. full time. So my first year there, I decided to do a workshop. Mm-hmm. So I called him up in Chicago. I said, Hey, remember me? We were at we were at, we were at Rod Lowe's place. This was good. Ah, sure, of course I remember you. Well, you want to come down here to Ball State and like do a thing? He goes, okay, you know. So then we worked out the details. He came down for four days, mm-hmm. stayed at my house here in Broad Ripple. We drove back and forth to Muncie, did a recital and a, mm-hmm. did a trombone choir concert. Uh, we did a couple master classes. Mm-hmm. He did a sectional with the Ball State Symphony Orchestra Brass, and mm-hmm. you know, we had instruments. You know, Bach came with instruments. Dolly. Had a dolly bag display, you know, mm-hmm. other stuff, you know. Had a little, yeah. little four-day workshop there. So then we reconnected, you know, not that I really knew him that well in, to begin with. Mm-hmm. We just kind of hung out for a weekend. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had met Jay on and off a few times, you know, um, getting comments like when I auditioned for Civic Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Runner. I kept I kept losing to Dan Gingrich's brother, Dwayne. I was kept being runner up to Dwayne, so I just yeah. gave up. I just quit going there. You, and then Charlie, uh, oh, I met at these trombone workshops when starting when he was still in the Baltimore Symphony. So I went to one of those things in Nashville, and I looked him up, and I went and had a lesson with him, you know, in his dorm room. And uh, there was somebody we had a mutual acquaintance that I, that I thought I needed, you know, to introduce myself to him. With, mm-hmm. But with Charlie, you know, none of you just be anybody. Just walk up to him, talk to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's open as they come, you know, the nicest mm-hmm. person in the world. And so, yeah, so I had a lesson with him that was very informative. And then, you know, years later, uh, after the international trombone camp started, it was it started in Germany, and Charlie went and did it a couple times, maybe once or twice initially and then then i went there as the guest artist in 93 and then i'm not sure what happened in, and then by in 95 they decided to move it to italy from germany mm-hmm. and uh so i went back as guest artist in 95 and then after that it was joe alessi and then i think ron Barron from the boston symphony and then we got the whole cso section to come all three of them mm-hmm because they were, they started their season at that time period at the Lucerne Festival in Switzerland. So they'd been off it's all summer, and then they, they were going to regroup in Lucerne. 
mm-hmm. and have some rehearsals and play a couple of concerts and tour around Europe a little bit and then go back and get the season started in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, all they had to do is the orchestra was flying them over there anyway. So they just had to just re rebook their tickets so they could come earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did that. And th- so that was fantastic. That was such a, yes, that was like eh, almost five days. Mm-hmm. And I became better acquainted uh, and on, you know, and I would perform on, you know, we do recitals together and play stuff together. I remember I played a bass trombone concerto with a wind ensemble on the same concert that Charlie was playing a bass trombone concerto with the same wind ensemble. <laughs> <laughs> Great programming. Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt intimidated. I wouldn't now, but at the time I felt like, oh sure. man. Yeah. Sure. I'm sharing, I'm sharing the bill with Mr. Big Stuff himself. So, yeah. so yeah. So we did a lot of playing together, a lot of chamber music. There was trombone choir. You know, right. they, you know, they did the master classes and, mm. and most of the teaching. Yeah. And there was a lot of concerts, which was kind of cool because it was in this castle. With a, it had a, in the courtyard of this castle. There was open mm. air, you know, and it was a in this small town of Cuneo. It was not that small a town? It's probably the size of. You know, Carmel or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh no, 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 no! It's in Fossano. Yeah, Cuneo is actually a, a decent sized town. Fossano is a small town. Yes, Fossano is probably you know eight thousand right. people or something. Yeah, that's where the principal organizer lived, and there was a school there whose facilities we used. There was a big salon. It was great mm-hmm. for master classes. Then you could do the concerts outside in the castle. Mm-hmm. And so it was cool. It was yeah, fun great, fun. great venue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so many things I know where you've played. Of course, you played uh, with the Indianapolis Symphony uh, for a number of years on a on a year-to-year contract while they were still trying to. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was full time. Um, I mean, I was I was uh, the acting bass trombone from 2008 through 2016. Yeah, I mean, I think I started like towards the end of. I mean, like halfway through one of the seasons, so it was like seven and a half years. Yeah. It's a great stretch. But the plaque they gave me says 2008 to 2016. Yeah. And I did a lot of subbing with them, you know, before that. Yeah. Well, so, and you still do. Yeah. Well, yeah. not a lot, but so. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you a little bit about uh, uh, a teaching. And I'm just curious because you are mainly a bass trombone uh, player. When you teach, like at Butler University or elsewhere, uh, do you teach from the bass trombone or do you move to tenor? A little of both, mostly bass trombone, because I mostly am playing the bass trombone, and I'm, you know, I'm probably headed somewhere afterwards, and I have my bass trombone. Weeks, like chamber orchestra weeks, I'm probably playing the tenor trombone, so I'll just bring that. And sometimes I'll just bring it just for the heck. Like if I know I'm working with a student on a particular piece, Mm -hmm. you know, that I may want to demonstrate on. I mean, I can play just as high on the bass trombone as I can on my tenor. Um not for very long, but, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, so as far as like being able to play a lick to demonstrate something, I can do it. Sure. The bass trombone. sure. But if there's something tonally that I'm trying to get across to them or whatever, you know, you know, maybe it's more helpful to bring a tenor trombone. Sure. Usually I, I take, I take the, the, the easy way out and I give them a, a CD of Joel Lessie. 
<laughs> say, listen to this. Yeah. I'll give him a CD of Mark Lawrence or, you know, any number of, you know, people that you would want to, anybody would want to sound like. Sure. Just, just like, just get to know this. Yeah. Well, and you've done a number of uh, uh, sabbaticals for the guys down at IU. Right. I, I, I did uh, two for Carl Lenthe and two for D. Stewart. And uh, Pete's never taken a sabbatical? Oh, Pete has. Pete, he's asked other other cats. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty nice career. You know, a lot of opportunities to teach, a lot of opportunities to play, and, you know, so many situations, uh, recording studio, chamber music, orchestra. Um, I feel like I do kind of the same thing, but on, you know, a miniature scale. Uh, so I've, I've always admired that you've, you've had those opportunities. Uh, I've been so fortunate. Yeah. I mean, lucky fortunate yeah i mean i mean i must be doing something right i guess yeah i think so you know, i start with these groups and they keep calling me so <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll have to say that i i didn't play in too many rests probably <laughs> or something you know so i mean i, I i'm you know i'll give myself a, a, a small part on the back you know i get called mm -hmm. back every place i've played yeah. i got called back uh, uh jared hey thanks so much for the time today appreciate everything you shared been great this was a very enjoyable for me i mean you Thanks. made me think about some stuff i hadn't thought about in a long time well and now it's on it's uh recorded for posterity right it's all there. right so now i actually could forget it yeah and if i needed to reference <laughs> anything i could there it go is. to your archives there you, there you thanks go. for the invitation this was very enjoyable i like chatting right. with you hey okay man. man i'll talk to you soon talk to you soon See adios you. Bye -bye. thanks thank you everyone for listening today Tune in next week for another great interview. And one last reminder that you can help support this podcast by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studio HFL. Your support would be most appreciated. And another special thanks to Messina Covers, the Eastman Music Company, and Pickett Blackburn for their support of this podcast. Thanks again. Now, go practice. <laughs>